who are you? Uh, my name is Ethan. I'm Ethan Mast. Ethan Mast. From where do you hail Ethan Mast? I grew up in New York State. I live in Greenwood now. You grew up in New York State. What part of New York? Uh, Western. South of Buffalo. <coughs> Uh, my, the, uh, the only stereotype I have is lots of snow. Is that lots of snow? Good wings. Good wings. What is that? Chicken wings. Buffalo wild wings, kind of wings. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> but not ruined by the Buffalo Wild Wings brand. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> Anything notable? Like, how did you meet Jesus? I met Jesus by having been. Uh, Taught about it in church my whole life long. Um, he was kind of always there. Something big happened when I was in my teens when my parents were encouraging me to sort of be intentional about what I wanted to do with life in a permanent way. They were kind of like, Jesus is good. Do you want to follow him your whole life long? Are you all in? And I said, well, that's a good question. I'm not sure I can commit. Uh, they said, think about it. You said how old? Oh, I don't know, 12, 13, 14. And it so it parents, took a while. It, they, they had an actual concrete, like, you need to cross, a, cross this line. They did. They did. And actually, when I was younger, what they told me was, follow Jesus. Someday, someday we want you to make a, like, a lifelong, all-in. Dad put it this way. Would you die for him? That scared me. Uh, it took me a few years. <laughs> but how old were you when he threatened you with death? Oh, joking. joking. <laughs> <laughs> um, it probably started nine, ten. When I was 14, one night when I couldn't sleep, um, something in me realized that I knew basically what he'd written in the book. And I knew that I could not be ever convinced that he didn't write it and didn't mean it. I was like, okay, well, the rest was sort of obvious. Not easy, but the rest was obvious. I had to, had to make a decision for him. So you did when? Uh, when I was 14. And then you were baptized or what? what uh, then I was baptized. And then yeah. you were baptized. A year later, because long story. <laughs> I like the fact that you actually counted the cost and said, I'm not sure I'm ready. Mm. Like, in other words, you didn't have a low bar of like, yeah, I believe in Jesus, and that's good enough. You had a, I'm actually going to take this thing seriously and follow Jesus and have to change my life. Yeah, it was kind of like, there was always, there was always, and I got this, and we moved around a bit, and I got this in churches everywhere. Make a choice for Jesus now, or you're in trouble, that kind of thing. And so things like praying Jesus into my heart so I don't die. and, and, and Hell's and hot, forever's a long time. All those things. Many sure. times, many things, many times waiting for that special change that happened on the radio that I, I, I didn't feel. But with the all-in commitment, um, my life did change, actually. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Ethan's interesting. Just personality-wise, are you already starting to pick up that... like? He didn't commit to Jesus because he had an emotional encounter. He had a reasoned process and a concrete decision where he exercised his will, and it bore fruit. Are we, tra- are we tracking so far? Yeah. So I already like you. Thanks. Um, 
Plus, your facial hair, you, you remind me of, uh, the, like, you're, you physically look like, what was that movie with uh, Hugh, um, uh, with the masks? You guys know the one I'm talking about? No, no. Uh. <laughs> Everyone wears the mask to rebel against the, like, the, the, like, fascist machine. V for Vendetta. Don't you look kind of like that guy? Everyone, bear witness, bear witness right now. Yep, me and Katie know what's up. I would, do we have time for me to ask a question about how you and Queena met and fell in love and produced many offspring and all that stuff? Sure. Okay. Sure. That was a long question, actually. I could, I could say, I met Queen. So, uh, Queen is from around here, right? She's a, she's a, she's a Greenwood lady. Uh, we met in college in Ohio um, at, at RBC. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, See, kids, go to Rosedale. You'll make good. Make All the good. kids are downstairs, avoiding that advice. <laughs> well, anyways, you watch it. So I, I met her out there. It was, it was a two-year school, so it was her second year. It was my first year. Um, I was seventeen years old and not ready for a relationship. Although I, she changed. She changed that about me. I, I stalked her, uh, not very expertly for a couple years. In two thousand five, we began dating. It actually happened here during the. It was one of the years when CMC Conference was here. Were you resistant to these? These You were resistant. She was preoccupied with other gentlemen. Is that a unique, unique ability? unique ability to what? Oh, my word. That's not on the recording, so that's okay. I have a wonderful memory from when we had been dating for two days. It happened down here. I wrote her a letter finally at the goading of some friends. I was like, look, okay, I like you. We should try a relationship. But I was in New York at the time, and because she was uh, older than me and because we lived 400 miles apart, I didn't think we could have a future together. Finally, I wrote the letter. It was right before a church conference, CMC conference here, 2005, um, and she said, I got your letter. Let's, let's talk about it. You're coming for conference, right? Yeah, well, I guess I'll come this year. So uh, we had been dating for like one or two days, and there was a youth. The youth stuff was happening in this building right here, and uh, it, was, right here. it was in this it was building. Right First time I was ever in this church, I walked in with my like two days old girlfriend down in these doors and sat right there. And uh, it was the first time I'd heard the song, Blessed Be Your Name. And it was a little bit life-changing. It was sort of felt like a stake in the ground for our lives and our relationship. I mean, since then, there's been a lot of roads marked with suffering. There's been a lot of those good times. And it was a, the perfect beginning to us and to sort of really my adult life to recognize that there was someone to, to bounce the praises back to, to call on during the hard times. And so it's kind of just one of those milestone memories, actually. Thank, that actually is really cool for me to now think of that particular seat. As that's where you roma- want to see people. That's the romance seat. <laughs> that's if if you're looking for romance. I was next to you. <laughs> Stalking as usual. <laughs> I should get out of here and let you preach. Go ahead and give Ethan a standard gateway welcome. Thanks, guys. Um, 
I, I was going to spend a little bit of time introducing myself. I no longer need to. I, I, uh, I, I will, in case you don't know my family. Um, currently downstairs is Janiah, age 10, Dory, age 10, James, age 8. And I didn't answer all the questions of how they showed up, but you can either know or intuit most of that, of, of, of how that all happened. We, um, another milestone memory for me, also related to being in this room, was about seven years ago when uh, Queena and I were standing here and talking about how we were looking for partners with our upcoming missionary ministry, how we were going to be going to Asia and working with Wycliffe Bible Translators, um, which um, feels like a long time ago, doesn't it? It... Um, that was, a special, that was a special time, too, and um, you all were great then, too, and we experienced a lot of love and prayers and generosity, and I, I think we sent a card, but anyways, let me say again, thank you. Um, speaking a little bit about that road, we did move to Malaysia and worked with uh, Bible translators for a couple years. Health reasons in the family brought us home a couple decades sooner than we thought it would. And we're, we're, we're Delaware people again. Queen is a teacher. I work in a grocery store. And life is so good because God is so good. Amen. The, um, in my last job, I spent a lot of time thinking and working about the Bible. And as my walk with Jesus has continued, my relationship with this book has developed too. And something I've been finding more... And more. And I'm so happy that around the world people are continuing to get new opportunities to hear uh, and read scriptures in their own languages in a way that they can understand very well. More and more for myself, when I read, what I find happening is my heart and my mind are drawn off the pages to God Himself, who wrote it in the first place and who is talking to me and who is talking to all of us. So today we're going to. Uh, look at a scripture together, and my prayer is that it will turn all of our attentions together to God, and that his spirit will talk to all of us, and um, we're going to see how that goes. I don't know if you ever do this. I would like a volunteer to stand with me for a few minutes, because I'd like to tell someone a story and have them tell the story back to me. Um, And you don't even have to do it particularly well, but it will be a service to everybody. Thank you. Something that... um, I was exposed to in Malaysia working. Yeah, you're gonna need a microphone in a second. Something that I was something that I was exposed to in in, in Malaysia. There was a a group and not a, not associated with Wycliffe. Their name was simply the story, and they they talked a lot about internalizing Bible stories, uh, sort of in the same way that you can tell someone a something that funny that happened to you at work yesterday without needing to open up a book and refer to what happened because it's part of your own experience. 
And something valuable happens when we can internalize some of the stories. And by some of the stories, I mean well over half of this book is in story form. If we can internalize those things. Um, as translators, we're very interested in the exact words um, and, and, and phrases and sentences that are used. Uh, and we want to focus on that. But we also benefit when we sort of learn to internalize and tell the stories of the Bible like they're, like they're, like they're our experiences. When we can experience them that way. So that's what we're going to do. Um, the story is one that it had, I, I, maybe it's been a while since you have heard, um, and I'm going to, I'm going to tell it, and you know what? I've forgotten your first name. Let's get this over with. I'm so sorry. That's okay. Linda. Linda is going to tell the story as well, and we're not to, and it's not going to be perfect, and mine is not going to be word out of this either. The process is going to sort of help us grasp what's really going on, and then we're going to open up our Bibles and can, can look at the full thing, and hopefully that leaves us with, if anything else has happened this morning, a, a kind of a good gist of what happens. This is from the book of Ezekiel. Um, Ezekiel was a prophet who, I mean, just to put a little bit of history in there, there's a long history of the people of God and the nation of Israel. Um, near the end of a centuries-long, bittersweet kingdom of Israel experience where uh, kings and priests and leaders just weren't doing life as the people of God the way he wanted them to and kept turning away. Um, he had told them repeatedly and over a long time that there would be judgment and they would lose their homeland and they would... L- lose a lot if they kept choosing to turn away from him. And they kept doing it. And a growing world power, um, Babylon, uh, began making its presence known. And finally, in re- as, as the Bible says, in, in response to the unfaithfulness of God's people, Nebuchadnezzar the king comes in, he sends his army in, and they kind of plunder Jerusalem, and they carry away thousands of exiles, rip them out of their home. Ezekiel's one of them, and God calls him to be his prophet while he's in exile in the faraway land of Babylon, and um, sometime after that all happened, Jerusalem itself was completely run down, and so a big part of Ezekiel's message is letting people know not to get their hopes up that um, a rescue is coming for Jerusalem anytime soon. And then he goes on to talk a lot about um, the long-term hope that God offers to his people and how he's going to restore things. Okay, so um, it happened one time um, about a year into uh, Ezekiel's tenor as a prophet in exile. <laughs> Certain of the elders of Israel, Ezekiel writes, this is where you want to start paying attention. That, that, that was the background. Some of the elders of Israel, he writes, came to me, and they sat down before me. And the word of the Lord came to me. God spoke, and he said, Son of man, these men have set up idols in their hearts. They've set up wicked stumbling blocks before their faces. Should I really let them come and inquire of me? This is what I want you to say to them. God says, any Israelite who sets up idols in their heart, 
puts wicked stumbling blocks before their faces and then goes to a prophet, I myself am going to answer that person. And I'm going to answer them according to the multitude of their idolatry. I'm going to do this in order to capture the hearts of the house of Israel. These people who have alienated themselves from me by their idolatry. Now, Linda, I'd like you to, as much of the story as you can remember, don't worry too much about the words, but from what you remember happened, to tell us what happened. Um, The elders came to Ezekiel, and these elders are all, they've all been serving idols. And Ezekiel goes to the Lord and says, or the Lord says to Ezekiel, should I really listen to these people and what happened I really do know Ezekiel a little I don't know as well but um I don't remember that was pretty good guys was it yeah that was really good now that was do you applaud in here for things like that thank you thank you That's really, really hard to do. I mean, I read this many, 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 many times, and I didn't even give a a, a perfect account. Let's walk through the whole thing. And one of the reasons why that's useful for learning is because every one of you sitting and listening was also trying to, with Linda, remember what what, what happens next. Let's 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 go through this story one more time. I don't need both of them at the same time, do I? I'm putting it down before I cause trouble. Okay, so uh, let, let, let's walk through this together. Ezekiel writes, someone came to him. Who? The elders, right. Elders, elders of Israel. And um, they sat down before him. And who speaks to Ezekiel? God speaks, right. And he says something about these men right off the bat. They've got something in their heart. Idols. And they put something in front of their faces, Stumbling blocks, wicked stumbling blocks. And God says, these men have set up idols in their hearts, put wicked stumbling blocks in front of their faces. Should I let them do what? Come here and inquire of me at all. So God repeats the same thing again and tells Ezekiel, now I want you to tell these guys, anyone from Israel who does the same two things, sets up, Idols in his heart, or, or in front of his face, puts these stumbling blocks. Exactly. God says, I'm going to answer him myself with an answer fitting for that kind of idolatry. And the last bit, God said, I'm going to do this in order to recapture the hearts of Israel, these people who have estranged themselves from me. Now, if you're interested in looking this up, you can find the story in Ezekiel chapter 14. Um, I grabbed one of these Bibles out of the pew. It's on page 454, if, if, if you'd like to look at it there. A couple things I'd like to observe out of this story. Um, and one of the reasons why we said it three times is because there's things that I, that I see, things that God has told me, shown me about my own life. Um, and His Spirit may reveal different things to you. And I'm okay with that. But let me, let me, let me, let me bring up a couple, a couple observations um, that occur to me. First of all, is what happens first in this passage is elders of Israel are coming to Ezekiel and they sit before him. 
And, you know, um, so far into it, there's not a lot of indication that they've done anything wrong. In fact, it looks like a pretty good scene. Take a snapshot of, 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 of leaders in the nation of Israel at any point, and you're going to find people doing really dumb and or wicked things. I mean, what's, what's so bad about going to a prophet and sitting down? It sounds like they want to listen. I mean, on the surface of things, that looks like a good thing to do. However, God's not pleased because there's more to the story than what you see on the surface. Yeah. Some people say that this thing, and it happens a few times in Ezekiel where elders come to him as the prophet and they sit down before him, sort of waiting to hear from God. I mean, it reminds me of what we do in church most Sunday mornings. Um, uh, some have theorized that that practice of going to the prophet might have sort of developed into Jewish synagogue worship, which influenced the way Christians began meeting on Sunday morning. All, all that to say, there's a lot in common with what they were doing and what we often do on a Sunday morning because, did you come here to hear from God today? I, I, I generally hope that I do. That's not a bad thing to do. But what we see on the surface doesn't tell the whole story. Of course, God teaches us the things that are in our hearts, our motivations, our passions. They, they show up eventually in the way we live, in the way we do things. But it's worth remembering. Not that I encourage you to just start getting all judgmental with other people in the room, but maybe turn inwardly for a moment and you tell yourself you're here to, to hear from God, you're doing a good thing. Great. In a cold winter, a river freezes over. If you look at it from the top, you're going to see a smooth, clean, clear, one thing. If you could see underneath, you're going to see moving water. You're going to see fish. You're going to see something different beneath the surface than you see above the surface. God says, specifically, the problem here is these people, they've set up idols in their hearts. They've put stumbling blocks in front of their faces. And then they're coming to me. Why are they here to hear from me if they're actually interested in worshiping other things, other gods beside me? What's the, what's, what's, what's the point of that? Now, talking about idol worship just for a moment, sometimes, to me, idol worship sounds like kind of a archaic or a quaint thing. Like, I can read about... Um, things like love and hate and the way I use my words and the Bible. Like, oh yeah, I experience this all the time. But if I read about worshiping an idol, I'm like, that doesn't really hit my day-to-day experiences all that much. I mean, I, I, I remember one time when I was um, in Columbus I was doing the, the REACH program and uh, one of the service projects that my team did was we worked with a, a local organization called uh, International Friendships Incorporated, um, there was a big international university, and uh, I guess it was mostly uh, Ohio State. And uh, this group would sort of befriend and provide housing for international students. Uh, for some reason, I was cleaning the apartment of an international student, <laughs> and I was vacuuming. And um, my vacuum cleaner cord uh, 
knocked something off of the bedside table of this international student. And I realized to my horror that it was a um, Hindu statue of lots of arms and an elephant's head, and the thing broke in half. And I felt really bad because I'd broken someone else's thing. And the guy I was, my, my teammate who was with me, was like, ha ha, take that idol, that thing's history, that's what, that's what you deserve. I, for some reason, that, that experience stands out to me. It's like, okay, I don't day to day come across with a whole lot of graven images. I mean, of course they exist in our world. Um, but we, we, we see again and again, this is one of the Ten Commandments that, that, that God originally gave the, the Israelites when they were out in the desert coming out of Egypt, saying, oh, you don't, don't, don't make these idol statue things. Don't, don't do it. And there are some good reasons for that. Sometimes the experience can feel a little distant for me. Now, have you ever gotten the impression that um, if, if you read the Bible, you see a lot of easily applicable stuff in the, in the New Testament because we deal with internals, and we talk about the heart, but the Old Testament's all about these outside rules. And Sometimes it can seem that way. One of the special things about this story in Ezekiel is God is going right to the heart, as actually he had been doing all along. You don't have to have an actual statue on your nightstand in order to have an idol in your heart. You don't have to have any visible thing showing in order for God to know that there is an object of worship in your heart that's not him. Israel, as I say, has had a long history with 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 idols. Not long before this event happened in the story in Ezekiel, God had shown Ezekiel a vision of God's temple, his most holy place, a building dedicated just for worshiping him. And, and this had really happened. His people were actually building statues to other gods and worshiping them right there in the courts of this temple. And you can read in the books of the kings how one king would build these images, another king would tear them down, and someone would build them up again. And at this point, I'm not sure how many of those physical, literal statues were there or not, but God's concern with these elders of Israel was with what was in their heart. And he was concerned with what was in front of their faces. This whole stumbling block idea, depending on the translation of the Bible that you're using, it might say something like stumbling block of iniquity, or it might say wicked stumbling block. And depending on which way you read it, it might sound like something that leads you into sin, or it might sound like something sinful that is causing you to trip up in other ways. I would suggest that the difference between those two uh, for a disciple of Jesus is um, not extremely important. Um, did, did you hear the difference between those? Something that leads you into sin or, 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 or sin itself. It's possible to be uh, in an unhealthy way preoccupied with am I, am I technically in sin or am I technically not in sin? And for those of us who are following Jesus, of course we want to stay out of sin. But it's not like, um, okay, ever played checkers? Your pieces can only go on the black spaces. They can't go on a red space. That would be an illegal move. There's certain ways you can do it and certain ways you can't, okay? 
if you move your piece onto a red square, that's simply an illegal move. And you could spend an afternoon playing checkers and do nothing but avoid illegal moves. You haven't really gotten anywhere. All you've done is avoided illegal moves. All right? To belabor the point a little bit, I'm going to go to my least favorite sport, golf. There's hazards everywhere. I played once. The hazards were not a problem since my longest drive was about four yards. The sand traps never caused any problems for me. You can play around a golf. If your whole object is to stay away from the hazards, you can do that. (laughs) I can do that. But there's another aim. There's a direction you're trying to go to. I think that... um, a preoccupation with the sand, with the water, if it caused you to lose sight of the fact that there's a direction you're going and there's, 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 there's a specific target, if you lose sight of that, you, you, you may as well, and I did, uh, go play something else. <laughs> the reason I say that is because... I think the concern that God has with these people who have idols in their hearts and some kind of stumbling block in front of them is because God doesn't only want to keep them out of trouble. He wants to lead them somewhere. And depending on what they give their attention to and what they allow to go in their paths, they may or may not get where he wants them to go. Does that make sense? Um, stumbling is unfortunately easy. Like I said, I work in a grocery store. I work at Byler's in Harrington. And you know, when, I, when I first started working there, my first day, I had to sit down and watch a video called the Slip, Trip, and Fall Safety Video. And it was a like, nine-minute-long thing on how not to trip on things. And I, I show that video to everyone who starts working at the store. And you know what? I had been working in the store for about two days before I was pushing a cart, carrying something, looking the other way, and I started running into stuff. I was like, okay, you got to focus on what's in front of you. And, okay, things like boxes of supplies, things like cans of food, they have their place. But that place is not on the ground right in front of you and where you need to go. Now, suddenly we're not just talking about sin versus not sin, guilt versus not guilt, but we're talking about what's right here in front of us in our lives. It's an interesting interesting article um, by the Anglican historian and author N.T. Wright called Idolatry 2.0. And uh, the the, the title drew me in. He, he, He says that in our secular and secularized Western world now, we tend to think that we're over God and that we're over gods. However, somehow, the same things that these long-ago pagan gods entice us to worship, are, they're, they're, they're still hanging us up now. He lists three obvious ones, and there are many, many, many more. Mars, the god of war. Um, and he says, if you think that the answer to any problem is simply to drop a bomb on somebody. You're, you're, you're worshiping the god of war. Your heart's in the wrong place. He lists Aphrodite, the goddess of erotic love. Our, our, our pleasure, our relationships. Um, is sex itself bad or is it a good gift from God? However, does our culture not worship sex? 
and will sacrifice almost anything at its altar. Third, obvious one from N.T. Wright is Mammon, the god of wealth. What has been sacrificed all around us in the name of achieving wealth? And these are things, and here is the falsehood. Here is the falsehood of idols. These are things that we think are going to elevate us if we buy into them. And instead, we become enslaved to them and, as God says, estranged from him. God says that the people of Israel have estranged themselves from him. He's talking about a relationship. God says, I'm going to have some serious and unpleasant things to say and do for people who are setting up idols in their hearts or putting uh, these wicked stumbling blocks in front of their faces and then coming to me, that inconsistency, that duplicity is a problem because of that estrangement. Do you know what I think that they were doing? Um, Maybe I can't prove this exactly. There's all kinds of reasons why in our humanity and our brokenness, why we turn to false gods and why we set up um, idols in our hearts. I think a big part of it, though, is that they were hedging their bets. I think that if I were in their shoes and I serve this one God, Yahweh, who has given me my identity and my life, but then there's these other powers all around me, and there's armies and growing nations, and wouldn't it, just in case, wouldn't it, just in case, make sort of a little bit of sense, get a little bit of safety by buying into into their gods as well? I I learned recently... um, that people actually do this when they're doing things like sports gambling, as if, uh, and I don't understand this very well, but if odds change after they've let a bet on one team, they might take out the opposite bet and bet on the other one to uh, reduce their risk of losses so that they at least win something no matter what happens. That might or might not work if this is a game or this is a bet, but God is talking about a relationship. You don't hedge your bets with your parents, with your spouse. You don't say, well, this relationship might not work out, so let me get a backup. It doesn't work. It'll ruin the whole thing. It will ruin absolutely the whole thing. You can't do it. So God calls them to turn away from that. This word of the Lord that we read here, the opening, chapter, uh, opening verses of Ezekiel 14, are actually, it's actually in three parts. We just read the first one. That, that word of the Lord continues to Ezekiel, and he repeats the whole thing again uh, even more clearly in saying, repent, to turn away, which can have a little bit of a, a jarring ring to it. People don't generally like being called to repent, but there's a huge word of opportunity there because it tells us that wherever... We are. That's a call to something better. That's a call to change. That is a statement that it can happen. Much of the message of the prophet Ezekiel to the people around him was sorry, guys. <laughs> Judgment is coming. A bad thing's been going on for centuries, and God is going to discipline us. But periodically, those words ring out. 
repent. And it goes even farther than just calling people to, all right, turn yourself around. This is your job. You've got to do this. God is emphatic that he really, really wants this to happen. Just shortly before this, in um, chapter 11, God was talking about how he was going to, he had a problem with what he called a heart of stone in the people of Israel. They just, they didn't care. They didn't respond to him. What was to be done? God told Ezekiel this, Thus says the Lord God, I will gather you from the peoples and assemble you out of the countries where you have been scattered, and I will give you the land of Israel, and when they come there, they will remove from it all its detestable things and its abominations, and I will give them one heart and a new spirit I will put within them, God speaking, and I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh, that they may walk in my statutes and keep my rules and to obey them, and they will be my people, and I will be their God. When we talk about things like repenting, we're talking about us responding to God and also Him working and doing miraculous things and changing us. In reading this story and this book, what it has done for me really recently as I've, as I've been here has been to call me to just to hold nothing back from God. It's so easy. So easy to come to church, to come to churchy things, and to be content to sort of hold back some part of my life I don't really want to talk to God about to hold back something that matters more to me than what he might ask me to do. And it might not be a bad thing. It might not even be a sinful thing. It just might be something that's standing in the way of where he's trying to lead me. And what he's calling me to do is to think differently about the whole thing. To give him everything and to invite him to work in my heart. So that my relationship with him will be complete, will be unheld back by anything, by anybody. And I think that's what he wants for all of us here today, too. I um, was going to go a little bit deeper and farther into all different kinds of potential heart idols that might affect us today, but I suspect that for many of us, if there's anything in your life right now that you know is causing some frictions, some estrangement between you and God, you don't need me to tell you what it is. But let's consider today an opportunity to turn to him again and open our arms to him completely and to choose him above everything else. I'd like to close with another story. We're going we're gonna to go to the life of Jesus and sort of go through the very same concept of, of God above all else, but, but sort of look at it from the other direction. Um, Jesus did say he's called not the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus himself Had so many good things to say, 
And he invites us in such a gracious and loving way. Jesus, I mean, did you, did you hear what we were talking about earlier? Who, 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 who offered his own flesh and blood so that our life as his disciples could be real and could be abundant and could be complete. Um, this is kind of the same story in reverse. Um, this is the, the, at the end of Luke chapter 10. Feel free to turn or just listen. Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you're anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. No one said anything about idols, but we, we did hear something there about a person preoccupied with a lot of things. And things like hospitality and service, those aren't bad things. Those are things that I hope have some sort of place in our lives as his disciples. But then Mary is willing to leave all that if it comes into conflict with her sitting at the feet of Jesus so she can learn from him, so she can teach others of him. Jesus says she's chosen the good thing. That's not going to be taken away from her. My prayer today is for all of us to choose again the good, the best, and to allow nothing to trip us up as we follow after him wholeheartedly. I'd like to pray together. Can we uh, stand? God, our Father, you're so good. A good, good Father. I hope that none of my words have sounded guilt-trippy. You don't want us to live in unresolved guilt any more than you want us to walk around blindly unaware of problems. I pray that you will work in our hearts. Call us, Lord. Invite us to come to you with open hearts. We want to live absolutely pure lives with you. You've created us to worship you with all our hearts, to love you, heart and soul and mind and strength. Thank you for these good children of yours. Thank you for the indwelling the guiding, the blessing of your spirit. I pray that your work will continue. I pray that nothing, no evil work, no good gift of yours gotten out of proportion will hold us back. Continue, Lord. Keep pressing in. 
keep working and show us what we can do next to take our next step following you. Pray in Jesus' name.